But as we approach this new year, does it ever occur to you that the start of a year is actually a really arbitrary thing? You know what, the sun, I mean, our earth is rotating around the sun continuously all the time. And we pick January the 1st as the date when we say the year starts. You know, like there's nothing special. It actually would make a whole lot more sense if it was either at one of the solstices or the equinoxes, which at various times in history it has been. But for some reason we pick January the 1st and that's the start of our new year. We're not going to change it, so we'll just accept it, okay? <laughs> but the year is really a continuum. It just is, continues the whole time through. And in actual fact, that takes us to another point around time. Do you think time is continuous? Or is time discrete, consisting of very, very small things? So, amazingly, the assumption of our current maths and our science is that time is continuous that it is, an, it is infinitely divisible. And all of, uh, you know, so much of science actually assumes that time is continuous, NMS. But you know what? We actually can't prove that. We actually can't. So the people who hold the world record at the moment for measuring the shortest period of time is the Goethe Institute in Germany. And they have measured the shortest time of anyone around the world in 2020. They measured time, and they were able to measure it down to something that's called, anyone know the name of this? No, it's a zeptosecond. A zeptosecond. And what's a zeptosecond? A zeptosecond is a trillionth of a billionth of a second. Okay, so that's a decimal point followed by 20 zeros, and then a one. It looks like this. So, this is a zeptosecond. But you know what? Below that, we actually don't know what happens. We actually don't know. Science cannot tell us what actually happens below one, you know, a zeptosecond. So, if we were to think about a tenth of a zeptosecond, maybe time is discrete and it's ticking over at one tenth of a zeptosecond. We'll never know until someone does better than the Goethe Institute. Okay? But it's just an interesting thought to say, because you know what? If time is actually discrete, it actually changes a bunch of things in science. And it just goes to show that how limited really our knowledge of science is in many respects. It would actually change the theory of relativity that you might have heard of. It would probably change how some people thought about the Big Bang, which is a theory you might have heard of. It might not. We don't know. And really, we just digress. It's just to say that the start of a new year is arbitrary, but it's a useful thing. And, um, you know, it's a time to think back about what's happened and to look ahead. And that's what we're going today. So what's just happened? Christmas has just happened, okay? And what are we about to do? We're about to enter a new year. What was our theme for Christmas? Anybody? Anybody know the theme for Christmas across our services this year? All eyes on Jesus. And I know here, um, in the week before Easter, we spoke from Luke chapter 1. It was actually Mary's song. Dan Thomas shared about Mary's song prior in the week prior to Christmas. That was Luke chapter 1. At Christmas Eve here, we spoke about Luke chapter 1 and 2. Luke chapters 1 and 2. And today, we're going to move on to Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3 is the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist... He's an interesting fellow. He really warrants more than one sermon. 
So you're going to get three today and you're never going home. Okay? That's not true. I will let you go home. Um, but um, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to run quickly through that, the story of John the Baptist. And then we're going to say, what can we learn from him? What can we learn from him? So we'll read primarily from Luke chapter 3. We will, but each of the Gospels actually adds a little bit to the story, and I'll chuck a little few extra bits in there because they actually add to the story of John the Baptist. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iteria and Traconitus, and Lysanias, I should have practiced those, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And at this point, Matthew and Mark actually add that John's clothes were made of camel's fare, that he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. It seems that Luke wasn't actually so interested in diet and fashion, um, but Matthew and Mark obviously were. But we move on. Verse 4. As it is written in the books of the words Isaiah the prophet, and this is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, as we read these things, John chapter 1 actually makes it really clear that John actually spoke about these things about himself. In fact, he actually uses the words, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. So, but in um, Luke, it's a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way is smooth, and all God's people, oh, sorry, and all people will see God's salvation. That's an incredible passage. Isaiah is an amazing bloke. I was glad that Margie read from Isaiah chapter 9 earlier. Just, there's some great chapters in Isaiah. This is one of them that Jesus quotes, uh, that John the Baptist quotes from here. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. So let's just talk about the crowds for a moment, just to give context and picture. Who were they? Who are the crowds that were coming out to see John the Baptist? Because he just rose up out of the desert. He started speaking and preaching about the kingdom of God. It actually says that people came out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So what John was saying was actually reaching out. It was striking a chord with people. And we'll hear a little bit more about what that chord was as we go through this passage today. But as we look, as, as we listen and as we read, essentially what the people, the crowds that were coming to John the Baptist were all the people of the region. They were commoners, probably people who were Hebrew, the people who were Hebrew in that area. There were tax collectors and soldiers, likely Romans and other Gentiles. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders. So religious leaders were coming. It wasn't just the common, but it was those who were leaders of, of, in, in the faith of the time were there. Most were seekers. Most were thinking, what's going on here? What's going on here? There's something interesting. I quite, can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something happening here. I want to go and see what this fellow was talking about. 
But some of them were actually sent. They weren't just seekers, but they were actually sent by the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, actually sent to ask John, who the heck are you? Who the heck are you? And so John said to the, this is verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. So two things, firstly, when you actually read this in Matthew, it's really clear that this piece is actually being spoken to those people who were sent. This is not just everybody. This was not a blanket statement to the whole crowd that you're a brood of vipers, okay? Um, but to those who were actually sent to question who he was and to test him. You brood of vipers. I mean, hey, you want a line to keep the crowds coming? <laughs> <laughs> this is creating a bit of a scene. I think it's quite, you know, he's, he's actually doing something here. But he's actually making a stand as well. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit we cut down and thrown into the fire. He wasn't one to mince his words, John the Baptist. He wasn't preaching a really soft kind of message, especially to those who thought they actually had the truth, because he was actually doing something else. He was preparing the way for something else. And he recognized that he needed to shake some things so that people would be ready to hear what was coming next. So then this is followed by a bit of a dialogue with some of the people in the crowds. But we're going to go to verse 15. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So when you talk about seekers... Why were people coming out? There was talk. It was going around. This guy's got something. This guy has got something. And we know, we know that there's been someone promised to us who will save us. This is in our, our teaching, our religious teaching from a long time ago. This is part of the promise that God has said. And so they were waiting and wondering if their hearts, whether John might possibly be the Messiah. Verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Spirit, Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. I'm going to actually shuffle the verses for, for the next bit, just for chronology, because we're actually telling the story here today. And if you actually read um, Luke in order, it actually goes on to say something that clearly must have happened later. So verse 21, because this is actually what happened next in the story. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am pleased. So just in case you missed it, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist here. 
And John chapter 1 actually adds more to the story. It's not going to be on the screen, but we'll, read, we'll just say this piece. It says, John chapter 1, 29, the next day. So this is actually the day after John has said, someone more powerful than I is coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And the story moves on, and if, as we keep reading, is in John chapter 3. Because what actually is happening now is John actually continues his ministry after Jesus gets baptized and beyond that, and actually starts ministering, John, John's ministry continues. It doesn't actually stop dead. And so as Jesus is starting, um, you know, John continues to minister. And, but anyway, as we read in chapter 3, verse 26, John's disciples came, some of John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that's Jesus, the one that you testified, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what's given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. He must become greater and I must become less. And John the Baptist actually lived what he said. Because if you actually read other areas in the, in, um, the Bible, it actually speaks about how some, when Jesus was calling his disciples... Two of those disciples were actually John's disciples. One was Andrew and his brother, and um, they also uh, another sorry sorry and another one. That person's brother was Simon Peter. Now Simon Peter wasn't a disciple of John the Baptist, but I probably have a fairly good inkling that Simon Peter probably had a fair interest in John the Baptist. Probably was keeping his eye on him like everybody else was keeping his eye on him. But when this happened. John just allowed them to go. He must become less, and I, he must become more, and I must become less. And then the final piece, back to Luke chapter 3, and this is verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So at this point, John's public ministry finishes. His public profile doesn't stop, but his public ministry finishes. And in actual fact, if you go on to read beyond that point, John died in prison, lost his head really at the whim of Herod. Just at a whim of Herod and died, but we're not going to focus on that today. So that's the story of John the Baptist, supplemented by Matthew, Mark and John. But what can we learn from how John the Baptist lived his life? Firstly, we can say that John the Baptist knew his role. He knew his role. He knew what God sent him to do. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So John went about doing that. He went about preaching that the kingdom of God was near. He went around shaking people to say, wake up. Wake up. The kingdom of God is here. The Lamb of God is coming. Get ready. Have soft hearts. He baptized a baptism of repentance. Repent from your sins so that you're ready. So you're in a state 
to receive the good news of God. And the other part of his role was to identify and point to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Prepare the way for him. Identify him. Point to him. This is what John knew. And keep pointing to him. He must become greater. I must become less. Secondly, John knew his place. He knew it wasn't about him. The people were waiting expectantly for the Messiah and some of them were even saying, are you it? Talk about something that might just happen to go to your head. Talk about something say, you know, amazing things are happening here. People are coming from all over the place. Maybe I am the Messiah. Maybe I am. And if we actually look around in history, church history, we can see people have actually walked that very path who've actually thought that everybody's coming to me. Maybe there's something bigger here than I expected going on. Maybe I am special. Maybe I am special. I might not be the Messiah, but I'm pretty damn close. Probably just a naughty boy. But, um, but no, John the Baptist was, you know, but people were wondering if he might be the Messiah, but he just came straight out. He knew his place. I am not the Messiah. Let me say this in words of one syllable except for Messiah. Okay? So that people could really understand that it wasn't him. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He didn't let the success of what was happening, of his ministry, take his eye off the main game, his main role. He knew his place. He knew his life's purpose was to point to Jesus. And he knew that he had to allow Jesus to become greater and become less. And he even allowed some of his disciples to go and follow Jesus. Thirdly, John knew his Lord. So before he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, John the Baptist speaks about what is coming. He says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He speaks about his character. He speaks about his power. The image of fire is a powerful image, a powerful image. Then he goes on, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually haven't heard many sermons on chapter, uh, verse 17. Um, so I thought I'd add that in tonight. No, I thought I wouldn't do that today because that was the fourth sermon and we've got to keep it to three. Um, so, uh, but notwithstanding, interesting. So he's saying that there is not only is, will he bring the Holy Spirit and fire, but he will bring judgment. He, there is a sorting that's going on here. Get yourselves ready. Get your heart ready for the Lord. So he knew his Lord, but even at the end... But at the end of his life, when he's actually in prison and probably had a sense that it might end this way, certainly didn't know what the future held. Um, there's a beautiful story in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and it's a story of, I know you, but do I know you? I'm just so glad this, this story is in the Bible. Like, when it, we talk about things and, you know, we can think that we should live perfect Christian lives... And that we should be ever believing, never doubting, 
and this story comes up. It's a story of doubt and faith and compassion and affirmation and love in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18. John's disciples told him about all this is John the Baptist's disciples told him about all of these things. And in the preceding verses, Jesus had actually remotely healed a centurion's son and has raised a widow's um, son from the dead. So he's actually performed some pretty miraculous signs. And, the, and so, um, you know, John's disciples told John, this is what's happening out there. John's in prison, remember. And so calling two of them, he actually sent them to the Lord to say, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now this is John the Baptist, remember, had actually identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. But he's actually sending a messenger to say, are you the one? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. He replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosies are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is blamed, proclaimed to the poor. Any more questions? Not quite. That's not in there, by the way. Any more questions? Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Sometimes I know we can talk about how Jesus restored Peter after Peter denied Christ. And there's a story about Peter denying Christ and then... but. Jesus welcomes him back into the fold. I think this is another story like that. John's actually sending a message saying, you know, are you the one? But what does Jesus do? Firstly, Jesus confirms John and his ministry. He affirms him in that. He says, John, you got it right. The message that goes back is, John, what do you see? Look what's happening. The blind see, the lame are walking, the dead are raised. So that, he says that. So he affirms John to back to John, but he also affirms John to the people. He affirms John to the people as well. He's not threatened by the question. Jesus isn't sitting there thinking, oh, this doesn't look good. The person who said I was the Messiah is now sending a messenger. People would have known this was happening. People would have seen, what's going on there? He's sending a message to say, are you the one? But does Jesus get wound up or upset about the question? Is he offended? He's not offended. Look at Jesus' response. There is not a scrap of judgment. It's not a scrap of judgment in Jesus' response to this question. He's not threatened. He's not outraged. He's not, you know, how dare you question me? You know, or my authority. You know, you've heard about what I'm doing. How, how can you even think this? And I know once again, I've seen this in churches at times where people have stood up and actually said, how dare you question my authority? You know what? We should always be able to test authority. And it should always stand up. Authority that comes from God shouldn't be threatened by a question. Shouldn't be threatened by a question. But should be able to point to Jesus. 
And so it's really important that, you know, we don't get threatened. If people want to say, you know, who are you to be our pastor? I'm not threatened by that question. Um, I'm just like one of you, just doing a job um, out here. But he didn't say, how dare you? And the other thing is he doesn't say he's disappointed in John. He's not disappointed in this question. Like, you know, none of, no disappointment comes through. You know, he, Jesus could be sitting there thinking, surely you of all people should know. And John, I need you. You've got so many people who are following you. Uh, you know, you are pointing the way to me. I need you. But none of that comes through. There's no disappointment in the fact that John actually sent a question to Jesus to say, who are you? Are you actually the one? Did I get it right? And sometimes I think for us, in our lives, when we start to question, we think we actually expect that God or Jesus will be either disappointed or outraged at the question. I think here we can see that he won't be outraged and he won't be disappointed if we are truly seeking him. In actual fact, Jesus provides just exactly what John needs at that moment. He provides both compassion, the response and the affirmation and he provides certainty as well. He does provide a response to say, look and see what happened. All those things that you knew were the sign of the Messiah, they are happening. He knew. So there's no judgment there. In actual fact, you know, this person who sent this pretty challenging question, Jesus actually said, there's no one born of woman greater than John. So in actual fact, he embraced the question actually embraced the question so this is a great thing to learn and last thing we learn from from john the baptist's life he was bold he was bold because he knew his role and because he knew his place and because he knew his lord it gave him great boldness he was bold enough to speak the truth to anyone, but notably to the religious and governmental leaders of the day, to go against the grain of what was politically, socially, and religiously correct at the time. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers, to Herod and Herodias, you're not living God's way. He was willing to do that even though it took him to prison. So we learn that John the Baptist knew his role, knew his place, knew his Lord, and was bold. It's no secret, I've probably shared it a couple of times to some people here and several people here, that I've found a lot of inspiration in my role as acting campus pastor here in John the Baptist. Because what I'm actually doing here is not about me. First part of the role was actually to help prepare the way for what God's going to do next in terms of senior pastor, because Mark left and we now have David Shepherd as our senior pastor. Another part is preparing the way for the campus pastor here will come after that. And as it happens, that's not decided yet. But I had you going for a moment. Um, that's not decided. But very much part of what, you know, my role here is actually to prepare the way for not just these people, but for what God is going to do next among us. And then at the end of March, I'm going to disappear. <laughs> and God will do what he does. So personally, I've found great inspiration 
uh, in the story of John the Baptist. But for, for others and for us, and particularly as we approach this year, what does preparing the way of the Lord look like for you and those around you? How do we make straight roads and paths? How do we fill in the valleys and lower the hills and mountains? How do we take away the things that will distract us or sap our energy or lengthen the journey? How will we make straight roads and paths for those around us? How will we take away the obstacles that might be between them and Jesus? How will we take away the things that distract from the good news of Jesus, the stuff that's at the edges? How will we take out the irrelevancy so that people can see this is actually what the message of Jesus is, that he died and rose again, that we might have relationship with God? That that actually is the core of the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's the core of the gospel. How do we take away all that other stuff that they might see and all the weird stuff that we might do or opinions that we hold and think, oh, I don't think like that, therefore I might not be able to be a Christian. How do we get rid of that stuff? Because to me, that's part of what making straight paths, making the line of sight to Jesus very clear, making it as direct as possible so I don't have to go via this path or that path or that path. How will we do that? How will we fill in the gaps in people's knowledge? How will we remove the misconceptions? And how will we make sure that they actually hear the right pieces of the message of the gospel? How will those around us see God's salvation at work in our lives? And how will they too see that they too could experience his salvation? So, as we come to this, what about you and me? Do you know your role? Do you know what actually God is asking you to do? And if you don't, that's actually okay. But ask. Ask him. What do you want me to do? At the start of the year, it's a good thing to say, God, what do you want me to do this year? How do you want me to serve you? What have you got in store? Or... Even, what could I offer? What am I willing to do? So ask. If you don't know, ask. Ask others. Say, what do you reckon? Ask God, by all means. Ask God, but ask others. What gifts or skills or talents do I have? Ask yourself, what time am I willing to commit to these things? And if all else fails, ask me. Okay, because I've got lots of jobs. They all need doing, um, and they need willing people to do them, and they're great ways to serve God uh, in our community here. So do you know your role? Secondly, do you know your place? Will you submit to what God actually has for you? Will you and I humbly serve him? Will we actually allow others to do the glory stuff and do the stuff that is us becoming less, that others might become more, and in particular that Christ might become more? Thirdly, do you, do I, will, do you know your Lord? How are you going to grow this year? How are you going to grow in faith this year? Do you need to actually ask God some hard questions? 
That might be need to be how you grow this year. Might be. Are you the one? What do I need to know, Lord, to fill in the gaps? What do I need to know to feel more power in my life? You know, what, what do I need? Or do you need to, is reading the Bible in a year, there's a plan we've got for people, you'll see it in the weekly update, is reading the Bible in a year a good plan for you to grow this year, to help you build your knowledge of the Lord? Do you actually need to say, God, will you fill me with the heart of compassion so that I might serve those who are lost or disadvantaged? Because this is who he is after. Help me to know you more that I might gain your heart so that A, I would share the message and B, that I would be you to those who are around me. How are you going to grow this year? And lastly, what does boldness look like for you? What does boldness look like for you? It might not be standing up to the government. That might not be your role. That might not be your place. But what does it look like for you? Is it being willing to stand on God's truths, even when there is a personal cost? Particularly socially, for most of us, that's the likely outcome of standing up for, for God or what he says, is there's a social cost. Are we willing to do that? Is it allowing God's light to shine a little more brightly to those around us? Just being a little more um, available or make, making sure that the words of God are never far from our lips and the acts of God are never far from our hands. That we don't just honour him with our lips as well, but that we honour him with our, our heart and our lives. Is it actually making contact with your neighbours? Yeah, the ones that live right next to you. Not, not the ones that are, sort of might turn up here or the ones at work. Is that what boldness looks like for you or for me this year? Things for us to ponder as we look at John the Baptist. So for all of us, I just pray that this year, yeah, that we would know and understand our role, that we'd know and understand our place as a servant of God and of each other, that we'd certainly know our Lord better and stronger, that we'd have a deeper understanding of him, that we'd make straight the paths for people to see him, and that we would have boldness. And that's our prayer. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the life of John the Baptist. And we thank you that um, you didn't just come into the world unannounced and you didn't just come into the world without preparation. But you actually softened people's hearts. And we pray that you would soften our hearts. That you soften our hearts for what's coming up for us this week, this month, this year and beyond we thank you that you're so much for us and you're willing to affirm us in those things that we offer to you and even our queries and our questions that you're not threatened by those but we pray that we would seek you with all of our heart that we'd be genuine seekers and we pray that your salvation would be in our lives and evident to those around us. In your great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.